What do you think? Coffee. Black, cream, or cream and sugar? What do you think? Lease a car or buy a car? What do you think? John, Barack, Hillary, or maybe even Mike? What do you think? Have you ever told someone, yes, I'll write or I'll call you, yes, I'll be in touch, but you never were? Jesus began a story with those words, what do you think? The story is found in Matthew chapter 21, and I want to read it to you in just a moment. You have an insert in your worship folder. I hope you'll pay attention to that or follow along in the scripture reading there. Chapter 21 begins with a great celebration. It's actually the Palm Sunday story. Jesus comes into town. People are glad to see him, and the dancing breaks out in the streets. It's a happy beginning to the chapter. But by the time we get to the end of the chapter, of course, the tension has grown enormously, and the religious people, the good Baptists of the day, and the good Presbyterians of the day, and the good Catholics of the day, the religious people of the day, are opposed to Jesus. And in the midst of all that, Jesus tells three little stories. We call them parables. And he begins this one with the words, what do you think? And it follows on the heels of the religious leaders asking Jesus about his authority. They have pressed him to say, who gives you the authority to say these amazing things, to do these amazing deeds? And it's interesting, not every question deserves an answer. And Jesus doesn't answer them. He refuses to tell them by what authority he does these things. And then he says to them, what do you think? And I would like to read this little story for you. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first, Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds And believe him. Wow. It's a simple question, isn't it? What do you think? And as Jesus tells these three stories, he begins to push a little farther his own authority. Now, I'm going to say this quickly. I don't want you to zone out. I don't want to lose you. But I do need to address a technical point this morning. If you are reading the New American Standard Bible today, you're going to get very confused as we go through this story. Because the truth of the matter is we're really talking about the first son and the second son. The first son said no, and then he went. The second son said yes, but he didn't go. But if you're reading some translations, it actually reverses that order. And so you might be very confused this morning. Now, in either case, the point of the story is exactly the same. 
But if you, if you want to understand why it would flip that order, there are any number of New Testament scholars sitting in the rooms today, and I'll defer you to them, and they can just, you can have at it after church. They can explain all those footnotes in the Greek Bible. But um, anyhow, just be aware. I don't want you to be confused today. The point's going to, we're going to end up in the same place, whatever translation you're reading. So Jesus tells these stories, and he begins with a question, what do you think? A father has two sons, and he sends them into the vineyard to go to work. The first son says, no, I'm not going to go. But later he changes his mind, and the Bible says he changed his mind and he went. Now, what about the second son? He also was asked by the father the same thing, go into the vineyard and work, and he was quick to say, yes, I will go, but he did not go. Jesus asks the question, now, of these two sons, which one did the will of his father? What do you think? Now, one said no, but went. Now, we're not told why. We're not told if dad leaned on him a little more. We're not told if guilt took over. It's a very simple story. We're not told anything except the fact that he changed his mind and went. We are reminded, I think, of the story of the prodigal son. Most of you, if you know the Bible, know that story of the son who took his inheritance and went off and spent it all. He ran away from the father, didn't do what the father wanted. But it says in Scripture, he came to his senses and he went back. He went back to his father. Now, with the first son's no in mind, the father goes to the second son in the story, and the father says to him the same thing. And he gives a ready, yes, sir, I'm going to go, but he does not go. Now, I think we like this quick yes because if you're a military person, if you're an accountant type, perhaps engineers, supervisors, they like people that say yes, don't they? I mean, it's very simple and direct. It's a good deal. He said yes. Uh, A lawyer doesn't need to explain this to us. We can understand. He said, yes, I'm going to do what you asked me to do. But he does not go. Uh, Jesus, in the sparsest of language, tells us this story. No reason is given for either son and his choice or his action. Now, years ago, a man named Roger Fisher wrote a book, and I've borrowed a bit from him. The name of his book is called Getting to Yes, The Art of Negotiation or Agreement Without Giving In. And I like that title, Getting to Yes. And I'd like to talk to you today about moving down the road toward yes. I also want to borrow, I'm in the borrowing mood, from a preacher, actually an American Baptist preacher named Peter Gomes. He's a long time been at Harvard, and uh, I read a sermon that he preached there. And let me quote to you what this pastor preacher says regarding this text. The church, your church, any religious community, is full of people who are willing to say yes to the right things. End of quote. We say yes to peace and purity. We say yes to righteousness and racial reconciliation. We say yes to feeding the poor and clothing um, those who are naked. We say yes quickly, don't we? But what happens when we say yes and we can't quite achieve it? A few chapters later in the story here, if you keep reading... Jesus is talking about his journey to the cross, and he says quite plainly at the communion table, you're all going to desert me. 
And of course, one says, Lord, I would never desert you. A huge yes. I'm going to go to the cross with you. I would die for you. A big yes. But on the night when Jesus was betrayed, they all deserted him, didn't they? Even Simon Peter, who had said, yes, I'll never do this. So this morning, I want to come back to Jesus' little story and uh, ask a question. What's up in this story? Is it a moral fable? Is there some ethical teaching? What are we supposed to get out of this story? Now, I think Jesus gives us the answer as we come to the end of this section. He doesn't leave us to guess. And I want to read again to you from the story. And as I read, I want you to pay close attention uh, to the words or to the word you, Y-O-U. Because, you see, it's easy in this story to identify and say, well, we're like the uh, tax collectors and the prostitutes. You know, we follow Jesus. But wait a minute. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you're a prostitute, but I doubt if there are any in the room. And so don't think you're like the prostitute because you're not. And I furthermore doubt that you're a tax collector, a despised person in that society. So let's not identify with the tax collector either. It only leaves another group. And that group is called you here. So let's listen as I, to the you as I read again Jesus' response. The religious leaders have just rightly said it was the first son, the son who said no, but finally got to yes, who did the will of his father. And Jesus says, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, but you did not believe John. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. Now, the first thing, if you're filling in the blanks, is you've probably already got that in, the change of mind. That's one of the keys in this story. They changed their minds. What do you think? If we really want to know God's kingdom, if we really want to get into the kingdom, what do we need to do? What's the key? In Jesus' time, everyone listening in this story knew exactly who the youths were. They knew he was talking about the religious leaders, the so-called faithful of the day. The story captures us when he says, what do you think? Some of us have said yes to God but we're really not going anywhere. Others of us have had basically said no to God, and the story lifts up that opportunity, the chance for change and belief and getting to yes. Now, before we go on in this story, I want to share two other stories for you, quite short, because I think they illustrate what I'm trying to get across today in this little story, and that's the idea of change and getting to yes. A real yes, a yes that actually does what yeses are supposed to do. Now, since I'm in the borrowing mood, I was reading Peter Gomes' sermon, and uh, he had an illustration there that's a bit surprising, but I want to borrow it. Now, remember, this is a, a Baptist priest, preacher in the East. He preaches at Harvard. People would probably put a label. I don't like these labels, but they would probably call him liberal. So he's probably safe to say he's not a fan of the person he's talking about. Nevertheless, listen to what he says. And we're talking about um, how do we move from no 
to yes. How do we really change in our lives? So the first example is Richard Dixon. Quoting Peter Gomes. Now, there are some of you with gray hair who never expected to hear me mention the name Richard Nixon from this pulpit, the pulpit at Harvard. But Richard M. Nixon changed his mind, and he changed ours. If you can remember back that far, he reestablished relationships with China, now a very hot property in the world. We owe it to Mr. Nixon that we are able to nudge China along toward the realism of a democratic society. We owe that possibility to the man we still love to hate, even though he's safely dead, the man whose no, at least in this matter, got to yes, and whose yes, in light of this earlier no, makes him intriguing and interesting for all of time. Think about Richard M. Nixon in that company of tax collectors, prostitutes, and saints. Moving from no to yes. Now, some of us in this room say, well, now, who was Richard Nixon? I think I heard about him somewhere. Others of us in this room will have no idea who I'm about to talk about, but I want to move from one area of California to another. Let's go to Bakersfield, home of Buck Owens. And it's also the home of the co-founder of a group named Corn. How many of you know the group Corn? I thought so. Three. The man's name is Brian Welch, and he co-founded a rock group known as Corn. At age 13, a family witnessed to him, and he says, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior when I was 13 through the witness of this family. But by age 16, he was drinking heavy and trying to fulfill his dream of becoming a rock star. In 1993, the group Corn was born, and they quickly moved to the top of the charts. Stardom followed them. They sold 18 million records. They won two Grammys. And they literally shaped the world of rock music with, with their new metal sound. But along the way, along with the stardom and the fame, came something else. Pretty common for rock and rollers. Drug addiction. Speed addiction. Uh, heavy uses of alcohol and all kinds of drugs. One time after a long road trip, Brian Welch came home and his five-year-old daughter was singing a corn song. And it shocked him because it's the song A-D-I-D-A-S, A-D-I-D-A-S, and she was singing it over and over. The letters stand for this, all day I dream about sex. Now, in his soul, he realized that's really not what my five-year-old daughter should be singing. And it bothered him enormously, and so he said, i got to get off drugs. But he didn't. Nevertheless, his responsibilities as a father continued to work in his mind. And uh, eventually, through some friends, he ended up in church, much like our church on a Sunday morning in Bakersfield, California, a church named Valley Bible Fellowship. And there he heard a message, and he accepted Christ as his Savior. He told Rolling Stone magazine this, Rehab didn't work. Looking at my daughter didn't help me kick drugs. But I did feel like I could do it. Miraculously, the addiction fell away. Within a week, I started having hope. He eventually took a trip to the Holy Land where he was baptized. And uh, eventually, he realized God was leading him to leave this group. He's written a book that's up there about his conversion to Jesus Christ. Now, I was looking for some better pictures. Maybe you can tell from that, maybe not. He's got tattoos everywhere. And the tattoos on his body really tell his life story. 
And the latest tattoo, it's on the inside of his arm, says this. And I think it's pretty powerful. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What do you think? Did Brian move from no to yes? I think so. I think he's gotten to yes. Now, what do you think? I think there are two kinds of people here. And this story reflects really us. There are some of us who have said yes. In fact, I think most of us have probably said yes. Yes, pastor, it's good. And yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. And we say yes to all kinds of things to go on in church, but then the doors open and we go out into the streets and what? We don't go. It's amazing to me how many people have been encouraged. Yes, I think we ought to have a prayer team, and that's wonderful. People can come here and they can be prayed for after church on a Sunday morning. Yes, I think it's great, but they don't go. It's amazing to me how many people say, yes, we should study our Bibles and read them, but and we offer Bible study groups and Sunday school classes, and yes, but they're not in them. Or we say, Yes, I think people ought to be in church on Easter Sunday morning. That's wonderful. I'm glad you're inviting someone, Pastor Eddie. But you get the card and it falls to the floor of your car. And you don't ask a single person to join you on Resurrection Day. Yes, but. Yes, but. Uh, yes, we're having worship in the chapel, but I don't really like these kids. They, they beat the drums too loud and the electric guitar plays over here and... I like to worship, but yes, I don't, yes, but. So I think we're pretty familiar with this story, aren't we? Yes, Lord, I'll go, but we don't go. And this morning, it's a great opportunity for us to do those two little words, and it's the last fill in the blank here. Getting to yes means changing and believing. And I'll tell you something, I've been a pastor for almost 30 years now, To me, that seems like a number that's way too big. But I'm not a pastor that's any good at all if in 2008 I'm not changing and believing. You see, it's not enough to say when I was a little boy, I knelt with my mom and accepted Jesus and said, yes, that's good, but that was a long time ago. What matters if today when I got up, I said yes to Jesus, change me and help me be who you want me to be. That's what counts. And if I don't do that, I'm just treading water. I'm just marking time. So this morning, there are some of us in this room who have said yes, but we don't go. What do we need to do? We need to change, and we need to believe. And then the second group here, of course, are those of us who have said no. We've said no to God in lots of ways, but the beauty of the story is that even though we may have started out wrong and said no, what can happen? We can change and believe And we can follow the prostitutes and the tax collectors right on into God's kingdom. Jesus wasn't telling the religious leaders, you can't go. He was saying, come on. The parade has already started. Twenty-some-year-olds, they're already marching into the kingdom. Follow them. It's wonderful. And so I want to leave you this morning with um, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Because it's, it's what you need to hear right now. Whether you've said yes but didn't go, or whether you've said no and you'd like to get to yes, 
There's a great big yes that's bigger than you and it's bigger than me, and it's God's yes. God always says yes. And I want you to know that today. You may have been a long ways from God. You may even be like the fellow that led corn, lost. But if you'll say yes to God, God's waiting to say yes to you right now. Here's the scripture I want to leave with us. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim among you, was not yes and no. But in him it is always yes. For in Christ, every one of God's promises is a yes. For this reason, it is through him that we say amen to the glory of God. Would you pray with me? Lord God Almighty, it's amazing these little stories Jesus told, how they still work in our lives some 2,000 years later. Father, we have said yes so many times, but not gone and done your work. We want to change and believe again. And Lord, there are also times when we've just flat told you no, and uh, we want to also change and believe and say yes to you. So right now, Lord, as individuals, we open our hearts and say yes. As a church, we say yes to the future, yes to all that you want to do through us, through this place, through our Sunday school classes, through our worship services, through our Bible studies, through our outreach into the community. Yes, Lord. Yes. Thank you for saying yes to us in Jesus. Amen.